City Cheers Together. Hey, hello, Friday, May 6th. We talk many good things today. Hey, this is Trevor, your guide through another here journal, their journal, everywhere a journal journal. We're going to read the Bible and then we're going to talk about it. Also, Russian accent. Bam, let's go. Friday! All right, numbers 14, which sounds a little weird because it's a number is 14, but it's also a part of numbers 14. Don't get confused by books of the Bible called numbers. All right, numbers is full of words, but also numbers. Some of the numbers are actually written in word form. And that's why people say the Bible's confusing. Okay, Numbers 14, here we go. Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder, Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh? We went to go back on the seminary textbooks and look at that one. Jephunneh, okay. Um, And Joshua, son of Nun, he didn't have parents? Um, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes, and to the entire Israelite community. The land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. The Lord said to Moses, I can't even, basically, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me and all the signs that I performed among them? I will strike them with a plague and destroy them, and then I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they are. But Moses replied to the Lord, The Egyptians will hear about it, for by your strength you brought up this people from them. They will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, how you, Lord, are seen face to face, how your cloud stands over them, and how you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. If you kill this people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will declare, since the Lord was not able to bring this people into a land he swore to give them, he has slaughtered them in the wilderness. So now, may my Lord's power be magnified just as you have spoken. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. The Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. And that is the word of the Lord from Numbers 14. Okay, now let's highlight. Here journal time. Okay, 
Um, this the highlighting in Old Testament text becomes so difficult because it's a whole story. So I'm going to highlight the meaning of this text. How about that? Um, maybe specifically, um, yeah, maybe specifically. Let's talk about at the beginning of chapter 14 the wording, uh, in particular, uh, of the uh, Israelite people. Uh, the one I read there in the British accent. I think that's what I remember doing. Honestly, it's all a blur. Um, but the wording of the way they use that, and we're going to look for a pattern in that wording and what, what something that sounds similar in there. And then I want us also to highlight what happens here at the end. Okay. So let's, um, explain, right. Or let's get the sun up, get that temperature up to about 88 degrees, hop in the water plug just for old time's sake. It's time to summarize this passage. Summarize. Summarize. Okay, that's right. I get it now. Gang, I always see with summarize. Amen. That's the only way to see things. In February, I'm looking out the window, imagining leaves on the tree. Okay. Um, All right. So what has happened here, or in the Hebrew, what had happened was... um, uh, Caleb and Joshua, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of, um, they were sent with, uh, let's see, 10 other spies to go into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And that you should have read about this like day before yesterday. And they were supposed to look in on, uh, or yesterday, actually, they're supposed to look in on Canaan and come back and report to everybody else what they saw. Now here's the deal. All of those spies saw the same thing. They did not have different experiences. But Caleb and Joshua come back talking about grapes that are so big that they had to be carried on poles in between people. Um, that, like that sticks out in my head. Those are some huge grapes, okay? The other 10 spies came back talking about how huge the people were. They no doubt were like the Nephilim, which clears that all up. Um, so <laughs> the Nephilim were basically, uh, if I just um, you know, completely reduce this down to this, they were, they were essentially giants, okay? Huge, huge beans. Um, so 10 spies come back really scared. Jacob and, uh, excuse me, Joshua, Yeah, Joshua and Caleb come back jazzed up. Joshua and Caleb say, how can we leave these grapes over there for just anybody? All right, let's go get these delicious grapes. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. If God said that he would deliver us into this land, then even if the people are huge, we'll take it. The other 10 spies came back and said, no, we can't do this. This is suicide. These people are huge. And they even say, we seem like grasshoppers to them. Surely they look at us and they're like stupid grasshoppers. Okay, that's the scene that happens. Now, notice, so in other words, the minority report is being given by Caleb and Joshua. Now, the response is that's where we come to at the start of chapter 14. It is the response of the rest of the Israelites. And let's just take a look at what happened. The community broke out into excited cries. These grapes are going to be delicious. No, people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron 
The whole community said, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is God doing this to us? Look what's going to happen. Our wives and children are going to become plunder. Wouldn't it just be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. All right. The phrasing of that, there are some very similar themes in that that you might um, trace back to Genesis chapter 3, among other places, also the Exodus, okay? So if you remember Genesis chapter 3, God has prepared a place and a land for um, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, we'll call them that, to live in this garden, perfect provision, um, uh, food for days, and they are given a command, do not eat of this tree. And then you'll remember the snake, the serpent, enters the garden from the wilderness and the serpent recasts the narrative. In other words, Eve in Genesis 3, or the woman, actually she has not received her name yet, the woman is standing next to this tree and she's seen the same thing that she saw the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before. But now it's just cast with a different idea, a different story. Okay, She believes that story, and it ends up with separation, blame shifting on God, blame shifting on each other, and um, essentially backwards movement for humanity. They get cast out of the garden instead of living there. You see it again happening all through Exodus. Um, just uh, We just read about it a couple of days ago in Numbers. Remember when they were asking for, they had the um, they had the manna, which tasted like coriander seed and honey, which clears that up, right? Um, it was so delicious. They would let, There's a passage, I'm sure you read this the other day, where they would like form cakes out of it. I always think of them forming turducken, you know, the, the like, let's make a turkey out of this, and they put it on the Thanksgiving table, and then they pull it back, and it's a it's a turducken made out of manna. That's what I picture them doing, Sha- like shaping a uh, shaping manna into like a hamburger. Like, what do you kids want for dinner tonight? And, you know, there it is. Well, they got tired of all that. They got, like, they were fed up with it, and so they recast the narrative. God doesn't care about us. If he did, he'd give us some meat to eat. And then God's like, okay, you ungrateful brats. Now, he, God didn't say that, but essentially that's what he did. He's like, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And he gave him so much quail that was like up to their eyeballs and stinking and rotting. Anyway, my point is when we get to this point in Numbers 14, like this is a common pattern. This is not just a common pattern for Israel. This is a common pattern for humanity that goes back to the original sin. We all see the same thing. We've been given a promise by God, and then the narrative is recast, and the blame shifting starts right? That's exactly what happens here. I mean, look at this. It's if only, I can't believe God did this. Why he would bring us out here? And then let's go backwards instead of forwards. Let's appoint a leader to take us back to Egypt, to slavery. Does anybody remember what Egypt was doing when they were in slavery? They were crying out to God, get us out of this situation, which tells us that there is something going on in Israel's heart. It's because they, they so quickly forget where they came from, they so quickly forget where they've been led to, and they so quickly forget the promise of God of what he wants to bring them to. Caleb and Joshua did not. Remember, Caleb and Joshua were not merely motivated by the size of the grapes. The, 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 the fact that the land was flowing with milk and honey and the grapes were huge, that was a motivating factor 
to Caleb and Jacob, not because they were gluttons, but because it was a manifestation of God's promise. God promised the land was going to be like this. Look, it is like this. The other 10 spies don't see that. The other 10 spies see, oh no, surely the land is like that, but recast the narrative. Forget God's promise. Forget all of that. God must not love us because we're totally going to get routed by these Nephilim-like people that look at us like grasshoppers, all right? Nothing changed from what God promised them. It was all just as he promised. I think sometimes we do that with God with suffering. I'm into application now. Sometimes we do that with God with our own suffering. It's like God doesn't promise us. In fact, Jesus says you are going to suffer. It is going to be difficult. There are going to be things ahead of you. There's going to be persecution ahead of you, difficulty ahead of you. That is all a part of the plan. None of it should surprise you. And then we come across suffering or difficulty and we go, I can't believe God brought me out here to die. It would, be just, it would have been much better if I would have never followed Jesus at all. Let me just go back to my old life. Like, guys, this is not just Israel. This is a part of the broken human condition. God tells us it's going to be difficult. He tells us we're going to suffer. He tells us the world is broken. He tells us we're going to experience, but all through it, he will be with us and we will overcome. And yet, when the suffering comes, just as he promised, we choose to lose the fact that the grapes are huge and we focus that the giants are bigger. It's like, oh no, we'll, we'll never do this. And we just lose track of where God is taking us. That happens here again and again. And Caleb and Joshua will come in and say, don't be afraid of them. Remember the promise of God. Don't rebel against God. Stick with him, All right? Now, let's move to the end of this passage. And you notice that when Moses goes to God, to Yahweh, the Lord, to intercede for these people. He comes in appealing to the character of Yahweh. Now, how does he know the character of Yahweh? He knows it. Remember back in Exodus 33 when he said, will you show me yourself? God passed in front of him and and gave uh, uh, gave him the declaration, this declaration here, that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion. Okay, so this is not Moses buttering Yahweh up. If I give him enough compliments, he'll do this. This is not Moses manipulating the Lord into um, relenting, all right? This is not that God forgot his character and Moses reminded him. What this is, if you're asking me, um, what this is, is God giving Moses, so, so Yahweh himself revealed himself to Moses and he wants Moses to remember his character, and he wants Moses to come to him remembering God's character, just like he wants us to remember his promise. He wants Moses to talk to him as a friend does a friend. He wants Moses to engage him. Yes, this is your character. You've heard about praying God's word, um, praying God's word back to him. That's what this is. Moses received a revelation about the character of God, and he appeals to God on the basis of that revelation. What is this like for us? Again, in another application. This is like for us when you go to prayer and instead of merely expressing your insides, bringing them out, you draw on the resources of Scripture. What has God revealed to me about himself? And so as I pray, I will both be reminded of that as I also bring that before God. God, this is what you promise your character is. I'm appealing to this character. That is how Moses intercedes. And that is a chief way that we should intercede for other people. 
Yes, we need to spill out our insides to God, just like Moses here is concerned for his Israelite brothers and sisters, for sure. But it is not only Moses' concern that he speaks from. He also speaks from both the revelation of God to him and what he has observed in God's character. He speaks back to God in God's language, essentially. Um, and his aim is God's glory. So you, you see how much he focuses on, think about what the other people will say about you. It will not be Israel's character that they notice. It will be your character that they notice. Your character is bad, God, because you couldn't get these Israelites here. So it's a focus on God's glory. I know Numbers 14, you can read that, and sometimes it can kind of seem like Moses is manipulating Yahweh. That's not what's happening here. God has revealed himself to Moses. Moses is now in turn as a mirror. Remember, we image God. We mirror back to him and to each other who God is. As an image bearer of God, he mirrors who God is back to God and says, this is who you are. This is for your glory. This is for you to shine. Let's do this for these people. I I want you to save these people because of that. So question for us is how are, you know, we got to read scripture. That's how God reveals himself. We have to notice where God is moving. And a a part of the way that we, you know, quote unquote, use that is in our prayer. God, this is what you've taught me about yourself in scripture. And this is what I've seen you do time and time again. And we appeal to God based on that record. So who are you praying for? And are you praying in that? Who are are you interceding for? And are you interceding by uh, through scripture? This is what God has said about himself. And. What narrative in your life is being recast, like new ideas? You're seeing, you're forgetting God's promise and you're focusing on your fear or something that you don't have or a way that you're discontented. How will you repent of that, move your eyes back onto God's promise that, that sees past the Nephilim and to the grapes? All right, let's be silent together and pray. Heavenly Father, open us up to not be driven by fear of the circumstance, but to lean into your word, to your promises as to how we move forward in confidence and joy, knowing that you always have something good prepared for us. Likewise, Father, help us to lean into your word and absorb it so we can intercede for others. We can appeal to you based on your character. We can mirror you back to you in the way that we talk to you. We can pray your word. So God, give us this people, a spirit that can memorize scripture, that can soak it up, that can remember the stories so that as we intercede for those that we love and even our enemies, we would do so in a way that matches what you say. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. City Church, go and multiply the gospel.